morning, I want to read teaching from First Peter again. This will be the fourth installment in, from First Peter. I can't remember exactly why I went all of the reasons I picked this letter as a, as a sermon series. I remember back in the spring reading it a few times and just being impressed by just being impressed by it and enjoying it. But it does hit a few, uh, a number of different interesting angles. In the first part of this chapter, he talks about husbands and wives, and he talks about outward and inward adornment. And so, uh, when I was starting to work on these verses, I started off trying to cover both subjects kind of at the same time, and it just got a little bit too big. So this morning, I'm going to focus on the adornment aspect of these verses, and which is just St. John just finished talking about clothing, and then the next sermon, we'll talk about uh, husbands and wives. Both of them are interesting, so it's like it. Uh, so, yeah, today I want to look at a number of questions about the issue of adornment. Kind of the, the big question that I want to try to answer is, uh, is there a biblical basis for being concerned about this? Is there a biblical basis for being concerned about our clothes and stuff like that? I did a little online research about these verses, and what I'm hearing is you don't have to be frumpy like the Mennonites or the Amish. Which was a relief, so I remembered I was a Mennonite. I don't, I don't think we're generally any frumpier than the rest of America, but if we are, I hope there's a good reason for it. If I don't mind looking different, if that's what the Bible calls for. But that's the question. Does the Bible call for this? Is there a biblical basis? For not over decorating ourselves, not using makeup, not wearing jewelry, stuff like that. Or is it just something that was passed down to us from our Amish forefathers? So that's kind of one main issue I'd like to look at this morning. We'll spend a bit of time on that. Before we get into this actual passage, I want to read a few verses from another passage, which might seem like a, a, an unusual passage to read in relation to this subject or an odd choice, but I think it's a good fit. And in fact, this passage is a good fit for a lot of issues we have to deal with. This is Philippians 2, and I'll read verses 3 through 9. I'm using the New King James again this morning. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted 
in the name which is above every name. Jesus came to us as a simple man, humble, unselfish, focused on serving others. He was a poor carpenter, got a lot of outer trappings. He set aside more than we can imagine to come in the image of a man to be our servant. So that is just a, something for us to reflect on as we look at these verses. First Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Wives, likewise, be committed to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, without a word, may be warned by the conduct of their wives when they observe your case conduct accompanied by fear. Now, some of these verses, by the way, before I forget, I will, I will probably recover some of these verses when we get to the husband and wife uh, method in the future. Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in its manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror. First, we're going to talk about all outward adornment, and then we'll talk about inward adornment a bit. First, we'll look at what Peter is saying here about outward adornment, then we'll look at a parallel verse from First Timothy. So Peter says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Unfortunately, both the New King James Version and the New American Standard add a word here that's not in the Greek text. Anybody know what that word is? She's not allowed to answer this question. It's the word merit. The word merit, because you've got your um, New King James Version Bible and it's does what I think most New King James Version Bibles do. It's in italics. And that italics is very handy in the New American Standard. My New American Standard does the same thing. It's an italics that tells you this word was added by the translators to usually it's added to just improve readability or help convey the thought they think the reader is trying to convey here. I'm not sure why they did it in this case. I mean, I'm assuming they had some valid reason for putting it in there, but it's not there. It's quite readable without it. So, I don't know why the translators added that merely. The NIV, English Standard Version, New English Translation, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, none of those translations add a word like merely. Translation. So that's a King James. King James Version doesn't say merely either. It's, it's not there. You can check it in the interlinear. So in the English Standard Version, it goes like this. 
do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So, my first take, first take on this verse, is that it's fairly simple, which is that Peter is asserting the external adornment, and it looks like he would have a few specific examples in mind. And now let's go over and look at what Paul says about this. This is in verse 10 of chapter 2, and I'm going to include some extra verses for context. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or cloth of clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Peter and Paul both use a similar word here for adornment. It comes from the same Greek root word, which is cosmos, which I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or not, but that actually is the word translated world almost everywhere else in the New Testament. This might be the only two times it's translated adornment or adorning. Uh, that's also the word we get cosmetics from, interestingly enough. It would seem to me that Paul is using the word slightly differently from how Peter is and just referring to dressing oneself, whereas Peter seems to be using more to talk about decorating oneself. Some translations would just use the word dress here instead of adorn. But basically what Paul is saying is he cares about modest apparel or respectable or proper, it also Included in that meaning, propriety and moderation, and especially good works. And then there's this list of things he doesn't approve of, which is almost exactly the same as Peter's braided hair, gold, or possibly braided hair with gold, pearls, and costly clothing. So Peter and Paul have had some lists that are very similar. And both of them have something to say about what we wear. Emphasis is on the inside, but interested in the external. So we're going to talk about how, how we could define these verses. But first, I want to ask you this question Why don't many Christians seem to observe these passages? And I don't claim to have all the reasons, but I want to look at a few reasons I think. I think the basic argument that is out there is that Peter and Paul are both saying, let your beauty come from inward adornment, not outward adornment, which I'm okay with so far. Up to that point, I agree with that. My, my problem is I don't think that's all they're saying. So the argument goes like this. Peter and Paul both say, let your beauty come from in, inward adornment, not outward adornment. So if you've got inward adornment, that's where your beauty, your true beauty comes from. So if you've got inward adornment, it's actually okay to have outward adornment because it's a non-issue, because you're fulfilling what Paul and Peter are saying, which is let your beauty come from 
similar to doing this. That argument sort of makes sense, I think it sort of makes sense. So the problem I have with that line of thinking is that it gets over a simple fact, which is that Peter and Paul both talk about outward adornment, and they express some concern about it. And the early church fathers did too. If, if the apostles had no interest in this subject, they did a terrible job of passing it on down the line. So going back to the false command, let's go back there first. Uh, he says that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with gray hair or gold or pearls or cloth or clothing. And he goes on with that, but with good works. So if Paul is actually not interested in outward adornment, then not sure what you do with the phrase about modest apparel, propriety, and moderation. That's definitely talking about clothes. Sounds to me awfully much like he does care about clothes, adornment. Just because you have the inner beauty that comes from good works doesn't exclude the wearing of modest apparel, make that unnecessary, or propriety and moderation. So if he's interested in those things, then he's also interested in the other things he mentions, which are braided hair, gold curls, and costly clothing. So I think it's pretty clear that Paul is, yes, he is interested in, as he said, the beauty needs to come from the inside, but he's also interested in some of these external factors. You go back to Peter, if he interested in external, does he actually not care what you wear so long as you have beauty on the inside? So I've got two comments about, uh, about doing that with what Peter said. One is, to me, um, if he's saying that, if he's saying that I, I, I don't actually care about the outside, then I'm not sure why he gives that list of things. Like, why do that? Did he does he just want his readers to know what he's, what external adornment is? You know, just in case you don't know what external adornment is, here are some examples. You know, if you're interested in external adornment, your options could include wearing gold, arranging the hair, and fine apparel. That, to me, doesn't really, that interpretation doesn't fit with the, what I see That'd be one point. The other point I'd like to make is if Peter doesn't care about the external adornment in this verse, then why does Paul care about it over in that other verse? If Peter and Paul, if Peter doesn't care, then Peter and Paul are suddenly becoming quite unharmonious. Peter is saying, we're not interested, I'm not interested actually in those things. And Paul says, yes, I am interested in those things. And their lists are very similar. So to me, it's much more sensible to believe that they both feel negative about a similar list of items. Okay, so, so that was one argument that, that Peter and Paul actually are not interested in the outward adornment so long as you have inward adornment. And I don't believe that, I don't believe that um, argument stands up to examination. The other the other uh, argument that I've heard is that Paul is, in Paul's verse, he's only talking about church services, 
So you only need to observe it here in worship. You only need to be called your here in worship services. And they got a point here in, in verses 8 through 11 of the first Timothy. Public worship is on Paul's mind. Um, I even go so far as to agree that Paul doesn't expect all of verses 8 through 11 to be followed outside the church. For example, let a woman learn in silence, for example, is uh, meant for church, not while she's driving the kids to school. But some of the things Paul says are things I would expect him to want to be true of those who worship God wherever they are. Should men only have holy hands while they're in church? Come on to church, put on your holy hands before you get in the door. It's okay for men to be filled with wrath and doubting outside the church. He doesn't want them, you know, if this is only five church, then it's okay outside the church. That doesn't make sense. You might say it's especially inappropriate during a worship service for men to be filled with wrath and doubting or to not have holy hands. Especially inappropriate during church, but you wouldn't say that, that, that means it doesn't matter outside the church. What about the good works that Paul wants women to be filled with or to be filling in their lives? Is that only here in church? Surely that applies outside of church also. So what I'm saying is much of what Paul is saying would apply inside and outside of church. And if, and further, if church is the only place that these teachings on adornment apply, then why doesn't Peter make that church a worship service? With context, he doesn't. One more argument against these verses, or, or following whatever, is that God speaks positively about adornment in some passages. And he does. For example, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 11. I adorn you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists. And a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was a fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. And here this is God's description of how he took care of Israel using figurative language, and it's a beautiful picture of God's care for Israel. How could jewelry be bad if God talks about it like problem with that argument is that we're not saying jewelry necessarily is bad. I mean, or that adornment is inherently evil. Hopefully we'll all be wearing some form of head decoration in heaven. I don't know if crowns count as jewelry or not. But you get my drift. The question is, is, is it appropriate for God's children here and now going through living in a world where we all struggle with lust and pride. And to me, Old, Old Testament passages like this do not cancel out New Testament teaching about how Christians ought to conduct themselves. Okay, so the next question I want to look at is why would Peter and Paul care about outward adornment at all? I mean, why? Why is this a factor? Why do, why do, they, why do they talk about this? So I've got, I've got three things 
three points. And one is I believe it's, it's modesty is a huge part of it. Because where outward adornment or outward beauty becomes the focus, modesty tends to decline, not the other way around. doesn't tend to improve in a way. And first Corinthians 8 says, when you cause others to stumble, it's sin. Luke 17, temptation to sin or sure to come, but woe to those to the one from whom they come. But that's one of the reasons I believe some of these principles that we're looking at this morning apply to men also. Because uh, both men and women can struggle with lust and modesty. Okay, so that's one reason why I think Peter and Paul care. Second reason is because I believe it reminds us of what is important. I believe our behavior can underscore or undermine truth in our hearts. Laying up treasure in heaven can have an impact on our hearts. Is it possible that laying up makeup on our faces could make it hard to remember where the beauty comes from? I think it's spiritually healthy for us to say, you know, my motivation for wearing that or putting that on or buying that isn't really a good one, and I don't need to, I don't need to see that. A third point why I think they care is because of, of our testimony. When outward adornment is not our focus, we make a different statement than when outward adornment is a top priority. And we remember that the context of what First Peter has been talking about, going, even going back to chapter 2, is the church impacting the world, our behavior among unbelievers, uh, winning over a disobedient husband, and so on. So uh, I think it's just part of our testimony. It's part of our conduct, and our conduct is primarily how we impact the world. All right? Why, here's another question for us to look at, why is it teaching hard for us sometimes? Why can it be hard for us? I have an illustration. But I'm not. I'm not sure if both sides can see it, so So, um, I'm not going to apologize, but this illustration involves coffee mugs again. And yes, I remember last time, my last illustration involved a coffee mug, I think. But when it comes to illustrations, you're going to have to take what you get. And I'll see how many illustrations I can make out of coffee mugs. So, two and counting. why I think these verses can be hard for us, a bit hard for us. And, and maybe I'm missing some other factors, okay, but I think these are factors. And why it can be hard for us to, to take this. Actually, that could be a bad idea, but we'll try that. Uh, so here's, here, here, here's a mug, all right? And um, 
someone in handy. But here's the deal. We know that this is a possibility. We know that there are serious Christians out there who are serious about following Jesus, who have what matters, what counts on the inside, really, because they are serious about following Jesus, but they do have this going on also. I mean, if we're honest, we'll say, yeah, we've seen this. And, and I think that can be a little bit of a struggle for because we know this. This is important. This matters. And some people out here are kind of doing both. No. Anyway, it's not incorruptible. We'll get to that point. It falls off. Uh, where was I? My answer my notes. So I think that I think that these Christians have maybe heard some wrong teaching. Or, or maybe they just haven't thought about these verses. Or they, maybe they just haven't been convicted about it. But we're all a work in progress. But we know that this, this is a possibility. For those of you serious Christians, it's not like every serious Christian out there is, is you know, dressing a very plainly. There are some out there that are, yeah, in my mind, going way too far. If, if Peter and Paul are saying what I think they're saying, this isn't that hard to read. Okay, so we know that this is a possibility. Here's the other problem. That's one reason why this is a struggle for us. The other problem is we know this is a possibility also. We know it's possible to be very unadorned on the outside and be quite empty on the inside. And if you're going to, if you're going to get this wrong, I'd rather you get it wrong like this than like this. You know, it, it's more important to be filled with inner beauty, then get it right on the outside and just be empty on the inside. So I think those two facts can make it a little hard for us, or can make us struggle with these verses and, and taking them seriously. Because we know there are mugs out there like this. Here's a verse, I don't know, I think, I think this is helpful to me to think of. I hope it helps. It's helpful for you. It's simply Matthew 23, verse 23. 23, 23. And it, it says, Work you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law of justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So I think the best case scenario is more like this. And if my voice is wearing out, I actually might take some of this because it's still warm. We're here to please Jesus, ultimately. So let's, let's put the emphasis on cultivating uh, the inside, inner beauty, inner handsomeness for men. But let's not just discard uh, verses that talk about some other things here. 
I would consider the dormant to be a less weighty commandment, but I think we should just discard scripture because we don't like it or it's uncomfortable. Because that's, that ultimately that means we're not trusting that God has our best interest in mind. If the one who created us and died for us is also responsible for writing these verses we're looking at this morning, then it's in my best interest to pay attention to them. Doesn't it just apply to men? Well, uh, I make this clear. I don't believe men should be wearing fine dresses or braiding their hair. That was supposed to be a joke. But I do think the principles actually do, there are principles here that do apply to men. Uh, modest apparel for Christ and moderation, I think that applies to men. Um, and I think it's also true that men need to be cultivating an inward um, handsomeness rather than an outward, probably so. Men can struggle with being silent. We, we, it's not like we never think about this kind of thing. It's possible to dress in a way that feeds our ego. Probably. I mean, I'm sorry, it probably is more of a, of a problem for women than men. Maybe in general, it's a greater area of weakness. Jesus says, you know, for example, if a man lusts after a woman, he says, whoever lusts after a woman, and I'm, I'm understanding he's talking about men, you know, he committed adultery with her in his heart. That doesn't mean that the other way around doesn't. Isn't also true, it isn't also a concern. I think, I think in these verses, the emphasis on women, maybe because that is an area of more struggle, and in those other verses, it's the emphasis on men, because maybe that's more of a, a struggle for them. But I think there are principles that both genders need to be concerned with. Even if it didn't apply to men, it'd be terrible spiritual leadership for us to be all stylish and cool while uh, our women can't. All right, let's, let's, let's talk about applying some of this. And I won't get too specific here because I, I believe there is room for individual conscience here. The main thing I would like us to, to, to hang on to here is, is just understanding that, yes, Peter and Paul, they do discourage external adornment. And, and unless we brush off that teaching, if, if we're not going to brush it off, then it needs to be the basis for some decisions about what we're going to wear and what we're not going to wear. Sometimes we have to say no about fancy clothes or fancy watches or fancy face masks, whatever. But if the only reason we say no to some article of something is because it doesn't fit, then I don't think we're living up to this passage. So here's a few questions you can ask ourselves. One is, is it on the list? You know, these specific examples Peter and Paul gave, is it on the list? If it is, then I think it's valid to say we're not going to do that. It's valid to say we're not going to wear jewelry. It's valid to say I'm not going to spend several thousand dollars on a night practice. How to pronounce this, so it seems like we get it right. Dolce and Gabbana. Yes. I'm not going to, that would be costly attire. I'm not going to do that. Because there are other great biblical reasons for not doing it too. Alright, is it on the list? Second question you could ask is does it fit the list? 
So it's kind of in the same category as the other items on here in Paul's list. They give some specific examples, and I think it's a sensible place to start, but probably not where we should stop. If they were writing their letters today, their list might look a little different. I think they were trying to get the general principle across, which is that external adornment needs to be discouraged and instead you need to be prioritizing internal adornment. Here, Paul don't mention makeup, not because it wasn't around, they just didn't mention it, but the early church fathers do mention it quite a bit, pretty negative about it. I think key words that can help guide us are propriety and moderation that Paul refers to. You know, if it's, it's going beyond that, if it's purely designed to draw attention and admiration, we might need to say no to it. But it's just a list. I, I, I wasn't, I essentially was not getting very specific here because I, I think there is room for some individual conflict. Some people are just going to feel more uncomfortable with some things than other people. And it's okay. The people who are, are not feeling uncomfortable don't need to look at those other people and say, oh, they're being all legalistic and self-righteous. And on the other side, they don't need to be judgmental. I think both sides need to say, well, yes, I mean, there's, there's a biblical basis for being concerned about this. Okay, the third question to ask yourself is, does the motivation fit? Is it all of us that the tip of it does the motivation fit? Is our motivation for whatever we're wearing, is it pride or selfish ambition? Usually we don't think about selfish ambition when it comes to clothing. We think more of dishonest, uh, hard-hitting businessmen and so on. But I think it is possible for the desire to be the best-dressed person in the room or left out, outshining others. I think that can, yes, I think that is a selfish ambition. I think working hard to maintain the reputation of being a sharp dresser could be a selfish ambition. Does the motivation fit? If you're putting something on mainly because it's going to impress people, please don't. It's not. It's not helping yourself. It's not. It's not helping others. It's not going to impress the one who really wants to impress. It's all this justifiable that the motivation fits. We we do need to be making. Uh, I'm not going to wear this kind of decision. I'm not going to buy this kind of decision from time to time based on what the Bible teaches about adornment. It's, it's not just something we inherited from our Amish forefathers. There is a scriptural basis for saying, for being concerned about this. All right, now let's talk about inward adornment. There are two reasons I will talk about inward adornment less even though it's more important. One is because it's not dismissed. I think it's not dismissed in the same way that outward adornment keeps being fixed. And the second is because I hope to talk about some of these verses in James in our next, the next time I, uh, the next installment of First Peter. Which is going to take me forever to get to First Peter, I'm afraid. I want to just reread our passage. Wives, 
Okay, now look for the inward adornment word. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be warned by the conduct of their wives when they observe your state conduct, accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves and submitted to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Whose daughter you are, if you do good and not afraid of any terror? That has got to be one of the few times in the New Testament that Sarah is referred to as a spiritual parent. I don't know if, if Paul does anywhere else or not, but the truth there, whose daughter's truth is feminine, so it's referring to Sarah. So what's this beauty, what's this inward beauty made of? It is made up of submission. Mentioned twice in this passage, referring to someone who has accepted the biblical order. He talks about faith conduct with fear, which I believe just means pure and respectful conduct. A gentle and quiet spirit, so a wife who is not loudly argumentative. Doesn't mean she's passive or even unopinionated. I happen to know an excellent wife who has some opinions on things, and they're worth listening to. Gentle and quiet spirit does good work, unselfish with her time and energy. Unafraid, not afraid of any terror. And I'm guessing the context is because Peter talks about persecution a few different times. Not just something husbands worry about, wives also. So I think he's talking about a woman who is willing to take a stand for Jesus, fighting the risk of persecution. How valuable is this inner beauty? Peter says it's incorruptible. So the good news is this is kind of just like you can get wiser. Grow in wisdom as you get older. You have to grow in beauty as you get older. You can be more beautiful and more handsome in your 60s and 70s than you were when you were 21. It's incorruptible beauty. It's God glorifying. It's the only kind of beauty that can make an unbeliever into a believer. Outward beauty won't do that. It's very precious in God's sight. So the, the same word here that is translated precious is used to describe the vial of the alabaster box that was broken of Jesus' feet. Very costly. Very precious. This kind of beauty is very precious in God's sight. If you want to give something precious to Jesus, like Mary did, be beautiful on the inside. Okay, so in conclusion, just a few, a few concluding thoughts. True beauty happens on the inside, and that's what we want to be cultivating 
the Bible does have some things to say about the outside. And, and even if it seems like a, a minor issue or, or not maybe one we're particularly fond of, we need to trust that God had our best interest in mind when he inspired us. Peter and Paul to write to this verse. I want to wrap up this discussion with just a few thoughts about our role models and the cornerstone. You probably already thought of this as I was going through this message, but Isaiah 53 suggests that Jesus was not an incredibly handsome person during his time on earth. It said he had no form or majesty that we could look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. We don't obviously get sick whether or not we're beautiful or handsome or not, but if anyone had anything in front Jesus, part of the Godhead, Godhead, uh, certainly could have had some input into how he uh, appeared on earth, I would have thought. But he chose not to come that way. Here's a verse that David Persona makes a point about. The verse is Luke 7 25. He says, Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. That verse suggests that not only was John the Baptist a pretty plain dresser, not saying we have to wear sandals there, but also Jesus and his disciples were not wearing fancy clothes because Jesus didn't live in king's courts. He wasn't gorgeously apparel. Maybe some, some people even thought he was funky. But those who responded to Jesus realized that on the inside, this man is full of grace and truth. I'm not saying I'm not pointing to Jesus to give us the impression that if we just wear like the garment, it'll make us more like Jesus, because that's not how it works. But what I am hoping is that. Uh, we can be challenged by Jesus' priorities, by his focus on others, and his willingness to sacrifice and set things aside for his, for his mission during his time on earth. Dear Lord, I pray that you would um, uh, bless us as we go from this place and think about this passage that you looked at this morning, and Lord, that if I was wrong after this on some things, then I pray that you correct that in our minds and our hearts. I pray that you would continue to teach us about what really matters and what doesn't matter. Help us to have the priorities that your son Jesus had and help us to be a testimony to the world in all aspects of our lives. Thank you that uh, you, for example, you set for us. Thank you for your love for us and your faithfulness in so many areas in ways we're not even aware of. We just want to uh, praise you for that.